In the reading corner today, I'm so pleased to be welcoming back Jill Lewis. And um, we're going to be talking mainly about Jill's book, A Street Dog Named Pup, which has recently gone into paperback. It's so lovely to have you back here, Jill. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be back. Thank you for inviting me. Last time we talked, we were talking about birds, feathers and women's suffrage and bicycles. So it's a very different conversation that we're going to be having today. When I think about you, I often do think about birds, actually, because you've written about them so much. But it's not the first time that you've written about dogs either. You had a series called Puppy Academy. And I just wondered whether that was the beginning of, you know, thinking about this book, this very important book, A Street Dog Named Pup. Oh, I really enjoyed writing the Puppy Academy books there for a slightly younger audience. And they're really looking at dogs that are learning to be working dogs. But I think that really stems from my interest in that partnership between man and dog and that real sense of trust we've got, whether or not it's dogs, assistance dogs or police dogs or water rescue dogs or mountain rescue dogs. Um, I think it's fascinating how we've developed this really close bonds and a working attachment. So while it wasn't necessarily a stimulus for um, a street dog named Pup, it just goes back onto my real deep interest in, in, in that bond. When I read A Street Dog Named Pup, I felt this was a book that you had poured your heart into. It just felt very, very personal. It really was. I think writing it, sometimes people speak about sort of heart song book that you pour your heart and soul into and it really is it's a book inspired I suppose by many of the dogs that I've met during my working life as a vet um, some of these dogs have been well treated um, and sadly some haven't been and I think I really wanted to use it as a vehicle to tell the story from the dog's point of view how a dog sees a human when that bond of trust breaks down um, and hopefully in doing so, to be able to let us see the work, that world through dog's eyes to make it a better world for dogs. We ought to tell our listeners a little bit about this story because it, it's a sad story. Uh, tell us a little bit about the story from your point of view. So the story is about a pup who's named Pup. And it's a story how when he's taken from the boy that he loves, and he's abandoned in Dead Dog Alley. And there he's lost and frightened and alone. And he doesn't know where to turn. And out of the shadows comes another dog. And we find out there's a crew of dogs that have been abandoned on the streets who get together, um, who form their own pack. They look after each other. They help each other to survive. But throughout the story, there's this thread that Pup desperately wants to find his way back to the boy that he loves and the boy that loves him. And so it's a story really told throughout Pup's lifetime um, about the challenges he faces, about the friendships he sees. Friendships not only sort of through canine friendships, but also human friendships as well. So while there is a lot of sort of, as you say, sadness in the tale, I hope there's a lot of hope there as well and that sort of that hope and trust between us and dogs i was interested in this idea of a pack of street dogs 
Do such things exist in this country? I don't think it's so much documented in this country, but in other countries where there are far more dogs on the streets, they do group in packs. And there have been some very interesting videos where you've seen one dog get perhaps knocked over in the street and another dog goes and actually helps it to the side. You know, they are looking out for the pack. And this is told from Pup's point of view. So I've had to imagine what it's like to be a dog. You know, I'm not a dog, so I can't truly um, represent that world. But I think dogs are, they're pack animals. They rely on each other for their survival in the wild. And in that, that's similar to us as humans. We're very social animals. We rely on each other for survival. So I think many of the emotions that dogs have probably mirror ours. One of the things that I am struck by is how dogs of different breeds seem to recognise each other as dogs, but they all look so very different. And your pack is made up of dogs that are like chalk and cheese. <laughs> they are. They're all they're all very different. Um and they've all got the very different characters, as I'm sure any dog owners know that dogs' characters are just as individual as our own characters are. And the pack is run by Lady Fifi, who is this very, very tiny, but exceptionally fierce little terrier cross. And I think as many people know who've got tiny dogs, they often rule the roost with bigger dogs. Um, but she's very brave and loyal and she's very bright and intelligent and she knows how to how to look after them and protect them. Um, and then we've got other dogs in the group. There's Rex, who used to be a fighting dog, and he's very big, very loyal to the other dogs, but has no trust in humans anymore. Um, and then we've got other dogs, a bit like Clown, who's a boxer dog who's just full of life. And as anybody who knows a boxer, they are clowns. They're just bouncy. They just want to have fun constantly. And so that's he's one of the other characters. So there's a crew of these individuals, very individual, but they all use their different personalities and skills to help each other. But it's ultimately it's that bond of loyalty between them that they want to protect each other as well. Maybe now would be a good time to hear from fairly early on in the story. Well, I'm going to read a section. Yes, it's probably from just the second chapter. And Pup has been dumped in Dead Dog Alley. And so I'm going to read when Pup meets the dog called Frenchie for the first time. The dog that emerged from the shadows was much smaller than Pup had guessed. He was smaller than Pup, or at least he was shorter. He had a barrel-shaped body, short bandy legs and a stubby tail. His ears were large and rounded and he had a face so squashed that he looked like he'd run full speed into a brick wall. He was all white, except for a large patch of black over his right eye. He snuffled and snorted through his nose, and when he breathed, his wide tongue hung so far out, he looked like he was gulping air. The dog circled around him. <coughs> a pup, eh? A big one, though. How old are you? Pup just stared at the dog. The dog's ears were pricked and his stubby tail upright. He didn't look fierce, but he didn't look like he wanted to play either. The dog continued walking around him, inspecting him. Mmm, huge puppy paws, but starting to get long lanky legs, a bit skinny too. Six months old, are you? Not starting to look cute anymore, I suspect. He pushed his face nearer to Pup. What was it? Chewing everything, yelping all day? 
Puck backed away and found himself pressed up against the wall. He blinked hard in confusion. What was what? Why did they dump you? asked the dog. Why did your humans dump you? They haven't dumped me, Pup said. So what are you doing here? said the dog. Pup glanced back up the street, hoping to see the headlights of the big man's car. The big man forgot to pick me up. The dog tipped his head on the side. Forgot? Yes, whimpered Pup, but now he wasn't so sure. His thoughts felt all tangled up and he kept thinking about his boy still in bed where he should be now. He'll come back. The dog sat down and attempted to scratch his ear with his back foot, but he couldn't quite reach. So he rubbed his ear on the corner of the wall instead. That's what they all say, but we all get dumped here sooner or later. That's why it's called Dead Dog Alley. Pup whined and tucked his tail between his legs. What's your name? said the dog. I'm Pup, said Pup. I know you're a Pup, said the dog. I can see that. What's your name? What's the first name you were given? It's just Pup, said Pup again. That's my name. (laughs) Well, that's a daft name for a Pup like you, if you ask me, said the dog. You won't be a Pup forever and you're going to be huge. He peered a little closer. I reckon you're a barker. Did he bark much? Sometimes, said Pup. Only when they left me, but they always heard me, because if I kept barking, they came back in the end. Expect your barking brought the neighbours round too, said the dog. How did you know, said Pup. And, said the dog, I'm guessing you think you're an excellent guard dog. Every day, the same person would arrive at the house, shove paper and packages through a hole in the front door, then go away. Pup curled his lips to show his line of pointy teeth. That's right. Every time they came, I barked and barked at them, and they never dared come in. I scared them off each time. They just left the packages and went. And he ripped at the packages and pieces of paper. I ripped them to shreds, Pup said proudly. The dog sighed. Your humans dumped you, Pup. You might as well hear it from me. Humans don't like chewers or barkers. They don't want you anymore. My boy wants me, said Pup. My boy will find me. The dog licked at a red sore on his left front paw. So, there's a boy, is there? How old? Pup felt the worry chew at him again. I don't know. How big is he? said the dog. He came up to the big man's shoulders, said Pup. The dog sighed and shook his head. Well, I reckon he's about ten human years, old enough to miss you. And that's hard. What's hard? said Pup. Even if your boy wants to find you, he won't even know where to look. How sad is that? But it gives us a story. It gives us a story. It gives us a reason for Pup to want to desperately find his boy. Yeah. I wanted to say, I want to talk a little bit about some of the issues that these dogs have. They're woven in very subtly, but if we're looking closely, we find that you are tackling just about every issue around human relationships with dogs and how we have used them to our own ends in one way or another. Uh, So we've got a fighter dog. So clearly this is introducing us to some of the issues around breeding dogs to be aggressive. Yes. I think certainly the fighting dog element is brought in there, which is a very underground, illegal 
happening in this country. And as a vet, you off, when you see animals that haven't been treated well, there are often two reasons. It's often the most common reason is ignorance, people not realising that an animal is suffering. And the other reason is just malicious, nasty cruelty, um, which is much less common. But when it comes to fighting dogs, this is just malicious cruelty to allow another dog to attack another dog for money, basically. Um, it's it's just unkind and unfair. And I wanted to bring that into the story to show that it isn't the dog's fault. It's the human's fault for doing this. So that was quite a, and that comes a bit further on in the story when um, Pup is challenged by this. So yes, that was a, that was one issue that I did want to, did want to tackle. You also bring up the issue of how dogs have been bred for their looks, for things that we think are cute, for instance. Absolutely. And this is a really important issue to me because the short-nosed breeds are bred because as humans, they do appeal to us. Instinctively, it goes into that very sort of deep emotional being that they look like small children the shorter noses the very big eyes it's it's infantilized the sort of our our view of dogs Um, and these many of these breeds are indeed their personalities are very sweet very lovely but there comes a really big price with this because when the when the face is shortened when the bone structure is shortened in the face the soft tissues inside the, the throat and the mouth aren't shortened so these dogs have an excessive amount of soft tissue so they find it very difficult to breathe through their nose through their mouths they find it very difficult to swallow and we're finding dog food companies that are now changing the shape of the dog's kibble so that these dogs don't choke when they eat and the British Veterinary Association are saying please do not use these dogs in advertising because it encourages it normalizes these dogs um And I think as authors, illustrators and in the publishing world, we should be thinking about when we use these dogs in children's books, are we giving this what appears to be a lovely, cute face? Are we normalising actually a lot of suffering that's going on behind the dogs? And I personally would like to see a change away from it. It puts us in mind of that other classic book, which was Black Beauty, and that was written specifically to raise people's awareness of the treatment of horses. And it had a huge impact on how people viewed uh, those animals. Were you consciously trying to do that through writing this book as well? Stories are incredibly powerful when we allow somebody we know when we allow somebody to walk in somebody else's shoes in a story, we can see the world in another way. And if we use that for animals, if we see the world in a different way, whether it's a horse or a dog or a bird or wild animal, then it gives us an insight into that world and we can hopefully make changes and make that world a better place for that animal. Let's come to the story because one of the things that fascinated me was this mythology this dog mythology that you'd created with um, the, the original dog. It's almost like it's the Garden of Eden. It's an origin story. When did that come into, you know, your thinking about this book? Well, I think the sort of mythology, the origin story, was when I was trying to work out what the story was about. And it was really about this bond that we've got between 
us and dogs. And as we all know that dogs evolve from wolves. And I was thinking, at what point did they come to live with us? How did that happen? How did they separate from being wolf? And then I thought, well, actually, if the dogs told their story, because this is a dog story after all, how would the dogs tell that story? And in, the, in my mind, I thought of a time perhaps back when you know the world was a land of ice and fire and there was very little to hunt. Maybe that's when dogs and man came together. The man had, was the inventor and he had, he had the fire and the dogs could help hunt for the meat. And at that point, when the, some of the wolves slipped back to the forests again, when the sort of game returns to the lands, but some of these dogs stayed with man. And I wanted to show how it was a real partnership and a bond of faith and trust between them and one of the things that really grabbed me at that point was how in your origin story man and dog lived year for year so they grew old together and that one of the conditions of the first dog staying with man was that it would only have one year to every seven years of the human and I just went oh my gosh this is terrible <laughs> that's right I was I was thinking actually perhaps wolves could share the same language as men and have the same lifespan as men and then it's the great sky wolf doesn't want Sirius the first dog to live with man so he says if you don't go and live with wolves again I will take away your language so he takes away the language but of course humans and dogs we understand each other without the need for words then he says, well, if you don't go back to live with the wolves again, I will cut short your life so you shall live seven years to his one. And I think, as many dog owners know, it's just you develop this really strong relationship with the dog. And you know, when dog lives to 10 or 11 years of age, it, you, know, you just want that relationship to go on longer and it's heartbreaking. So I wanted to build that up and to show that, you know, and I think I sort of built into this mythology, perhaps if dogs had a religion, I don't know, but actually that Sirius, the first dog, gave his life for that relationship with man. So it's a very strong um, bond. And what I wanted to show through the story is how each dog has a different different interpretation of that story. So many take it mm. as that first story. Other dogs say it's just a stupid story we've got no bond with man how you know it's ridiculous to believe such a mythology and then some of the other fighting dogs they perceive the story a different way and they see that man has dominion over dogs whereas the other dogs see it as a bond so and I think we we all do that with all different mythologies with different religions we all have different interpretations and so I wanted to pull that into the story as well so the human character, the boy in this story, I mean, he's ever present because Pup is thinking about him, even when he's not on stage, as it were. But you did weave him in periodically. So I wanted to have that connection with the boy because if Pup remembers his boy, then his boy would remember him. And at, when I first wrote the story, I think I wrote a little bit at the beginning about his boy and a little bit at the end um, and as any writer knows your editor is just a genius <laughs> and my editor Liz Cross was saying well she wanted to hear more of the boy's voice because she felt actually there's too much of a disconnect between the beginning and the end if you just hear the boy at the beginning of the story you needed that kind of emotional tug throughout the story and so I weave 
the boy through in about seven sections. They're only about a page or two long, but it's just what the boy's doing. And we see the boy thinking about his dog as well. And I'm sure, you know, any child who's had a pet, you, you're wondering if it's been taken away for you or whatever, you're wondering, you know, what's happened to it. And so that's a very important thread. I wonder if we could hear one of those passages where we can hear the boy's thoughts. Yes, so I'll read the first section from the boy. And this is when the boy wakes up to find that his dog's been taken away. His dog pup usually lies on his bed. Um, And we discover that the boy is in a very difficult household. He's with his mother, but also with a man who isn't a very kind man. Um, So I'll read this now. The boy wakes to find a cold emptiness beside him. The house is silent. He throws the blanket back and rushes down the stairs, calling for his dog. But when he reaches the kitchen, he just stops and stares. The small red collar that he paid for with his pocket money lies unbuckled on the table. The boy feels an ache deep inside his chest. He already knows that his dog is gone. The big man is sitting, eating breakfast. He turns with a fork full of food and faces the boy. If you've got something to say, say it. The boy says nothing. He knows this man is quick with his words and fists. The boy's mother steps forward. We couldn't keep him, love. She stretches out her hand, but he steps back. He bites his lip and blinks back the hot tears that fill his eyes. The big man turns back to his plate of food. If you haven't got anything to say, then get out of here. The boy hates them. He hates them both. He hates the big man for the man he is and his mother for betraying him. Fear is rising up inside him. Fear of what the big man might do, but a greater fear of losing his dog forever. He stands his ground. He was my dog. The big man stops eating. What did you say? The boy says it louder this time. He was my dog. The big man slams down his knife and fork and heaves himself out of his chair, towering over the boy. He pushes his finger into the boy's chest. He was never your dog. He belonged to me. He was mine to do with what I wanted. The boy backs away. But despite his youth, he knows that you cannot own a dog any more than you can own another person. He knows that when a dog gives you its love, it is a gift. A gift to be treasured with all your heart and soul. Mm, What a beautiful thought. And it's interesting, you never name the boy. And pup is just called pup. So they don't have personalised names as such. And again, I'm just going to ask you if that was always the case. I think that was always the case with the boy, to keep the boy as the boy. Because that was how pup sees the boy, how pup sees this big man who's very domineering. and to the pup, his boy is just his boy. I think lots of people will know, um, obviously know that you write animal stories. They'll know that you are a vet, but they may not know that you're a talented illustrator as well. And you've done the illustrations for this book yourself. And those dogs, they really speak to you with their, their eyes in particular, hold so much. Did you enjoy doing the illustration? I love doing the illustrations. I, mean, I have to say I'm 
very fortunate that Levi Pinfold did the absolutely wonderful cover on the front. He's one of my favourite artists, so that was you know a joy to have that. Um, and I did the internal illustrations, but illustrating is part of my creative process and before I ever start writing I always have to draw I have to draw to find my characters to find my landscapes I have to storyboard my ideas before I can actually find the words to write them down and when I go into schools I quite often talk to children about this because I think some so many children have this fear of the white page you know what do I write where are the words coming from and that's that paralyzing fear which I feel when (laughs) I'm presented with as a blank word document but it is a process I love because it's a slight meditation and for me it helps me find the story. Just one final question it's a it's a lovely beautiful story and as we've said it has lots of um, social awareness I mean not only about the dogs but about homeless people there are street people as well as there are street dogs when do you feel so strongly about some of those issues as Anna Sewell did when she was writing Black Beauty as a writer do you think about when you need to hold back so that you're not just playing the violins too loudly because I feel you never do that and I think that is perhaps something you have to keep in check when you feel strongly about an issue it is and it's a it's a I suppose it's a you know, a fine wire to walk sometimes. And I don't think you ever quite know if you've managed it or if you haven't. But I think what you hope is that you manage to tell authentic stories that are out there. And I think that's what I try to do. I try to listen to the stories and tell those as they are. Um, And you did talk about um, the homeless community and how important dogs are for people um, and I and there, there are many um, charities and individuals who support that and there's one charity dogs on the streets that I'm supporting and are doing a, a, a walk to raise money for them but I think the importance there is that for many people who have been felt they've they've lost trust in many of the humans in their lives these dogs provide so much companionship trust protection and it's a really important bond that these dogs as as I've tried to convey in the story that actually they're there you know they're there for each other so how do you you know how do you tell these stories it is a different difficult balance and I think as a writer you're always trying to find that balance and hopefully getting it right well you always get it right in my book so (laughs) thank you so much for talking to me today Jill it's been an absolute pleasure oh thank you Nick it's been really lovely to talk about a street dog named Puck thank you in the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.